she's a good girl Loves her mama, loves Jesus In America too She's a good girl She's crazy about Elvis Loves horses And her boyfriend too It's a long day Living in Reseda There's a freeway Running through the yard And I'm a bad boy Cause I don't even miss her I'm a bad boy For breaking her heart Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Ben, Steve Ben has tweeted out today that he lasted 49 Scaramucci's. <laughs> A whole new time unit of measurement. <laughs> Scaramucci's. <laughs> well, for those of to remind us, what is a Scaramucci? How well, that, that is the mooch. Uh, I mean, how many, no, how many days? Is seven it? days. Seven days. Okay. So, so used, what used to be a week is now a Scaramucci. It's now called a Scaramucci. A Scaramucci. Oh, well, Ben, and, uh, you know. Yeah. He'll have more time to do the things that uh, that uh, Scaramucci alleges he does in his time. Yeah, I guess because yeah, yeah. he'll have some I recreational you, yeah. time. I bet you the, probably the quality of torches will go up. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe not that Bannon can use his ta- several talents towards that direction. Maybe you could fr- he could franchise them. Okay. The yeah. official torch. <laughs> the official torch. Um, of the alt-right. I don't think this changes much of anything in the White House. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because people are saying that, you know, you can't, you're not taking away Trump's cell phone. He he calls people a lot. He'll still probably talk to Bannon. Bannon might actually have more influence being able to sort of rally the base, the kind of the sort of nationalist, anti-globalist, anti-free trade kind of crowd that helped sweep Trump in. That's the interesting thing is, is you're going to have like, are you going to have this sort of, because you do have more of the globalist kind of free trade internationalist people like in the security like you know the people that are in the security establishment and things like that rex tillerson people like that so is this is there going to be a are they going to snipe outside the white house yeah yeah it's hard it's hard to know i mean it's hard to predict anything frankly because the number one guy is so unpredictable um and everybody on the economic council left the corporate count they they, or basically he disbanded it before they all left all right so that's that's review that the uh joint chief of staffs and the economic councils were all morally superior and theologically more sound than his religious advisory council. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, not one of those people, and I don't even care to name them, um, had any problem with what Trump said or didn't say around. No, no. It's, it's as Howard Stern says. They're nice, decent people don't march with Nazis. You see, you're a nice, decent person. You're in a parade or demonstration. Oh, my gosh. Whoa, there's swastika flag. Oh, uh, I gotta go home. Find a new protest. Like that's that's not. Yeah, there was a, a not good. The Arnold Schwarzenegger had a pretty funny little clip on. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, <laughs> no, it's it's uh, and also uh, I'm well probably mostly very seen uh, Tina Fey's approach to it. It's that's there's some very funny things going on. She said, "Yeah, I gra- I loved UVA. I graduated in 1992, a virgin, and I still liked it. That's how nice the architecture was down there." <laughs> Oh my goodness! But, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, so and of course we, uh, you know, people are still some people probably still fighting for their lives. Our prayers are with them from the t- attack in Barcelona, and uh, yeah, it's just not m- much you can do about that. Um, whether it's a 
you know, you know, van driving down the street and going after, you know, either Nice or in Barcelona or, frankly, an angry uh, right winger in Charlottesville. I mean, using the vehicle as a weapon, there's not a lot one can do to prevent that. And no. And, I mean, on one side, it's it's probably an indication to, you know, how well law enforcement has done in terms of bombing and things like that and cutting down those things. But this is, uh, you know, this is the reality we live in. And uh, that is why, okay, a war against terrorism, uh, it's hard to say when it begins, and it's equally hard to say how it's going to end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and we're... I mean, the thing is, like terrorists, they just have to get lucky once. You know, I mean, they have to get, they have to, I mean, we are incredibly vigilant and our security systems are right. incredibly effective. But, you know, and you can't watch everybody. I mean, that this is, you know, the, like the, this is a challenge that, you know, that one of these things, this is like what, you know, David Brooks, we talked about the last episode where he was saying that, you know, reality is messy and so often our ideological responses to it are to alleviate anxiety that, you know, there's no th- messy things happen in a messy, broken, complicated world yeah you can mitigate some of that but it's it's funny i I met my oldest son down in um in the city for lunch today and we were in chinatown uh, in philadelphia i mean again i was just looking i was i would never thought about it but i was you know it's a touristy place there by the convention center streets are crowded it's all kinds of stuff going on and yeah you stop and look around and and just say all right you know this is there are more spots that are vulnerable like this around the world than then you can actually. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's uh, so, but we can't act on fear. I mean, that's what's when they win. I think in so many ways, um, how we have responded in the West and how in the rhetoric, including uh, the absolute asinine thing. I mean, all right, I know I have to be more specific when I talk about the president, uh, but the uh, General Pershing, you know, historical myth about him dipping bullets and. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know what? If one of my kids, when they were a 12-year-old, would have done that, uh, they would have been reprimanded for that. I mean, yeah. because it's not only bad history, so that they got in trouble for, mis- you know, fa- but uh, again, it's just, are you, you know, he must, ISIS must be paying him some money. I think ISIS sends him a check in the mail because keep it up, President Trump, you're helping our cause. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I mean, and he used to say that stuff on the campaign trail, too. He repeated that. Air, yeah, that myth yeah. on the on the campaign trail too. But. Yeah, well, of course he could have. He also says he could have. If he, you know, he would have been able to prevent the civil war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't. He can't get his own party together on a health care bill. But he could have stopped the civil, civil war. Stopped the civil war. Washington and Jefferson are the same as uh, Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, I, I was talking, and I actually, I mean, the historian in me is not comfortable watching statues torn down by. By mob, so we commented that on the other day. But I think again, please, if you care about this stuff, actually get your historical knowledge a little bit accurate. First of all, take note what year those some of those statues were put up. Right, because some of them are like in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, some, right, yeah. late forties you know, and fifties. Yeah, right, and so those are have nothing to do with the Civil War, and they have everything to do with being anti-civil rights. I do think you know there's a sense where. Um, it's important to understand the Civil War uh, because I still think a lot of uh, – I, I don't think Reconstruction ever actually happened or worked. It happened, but it didn't work. And some of the same issues come up. Certainly yeah. – Well, it, wor- it worked for a little while until they stopped it and then it 
and then it kind of was all reversed. I mean, there were there was a season where well, it worked, but it was it, the way it was the way it was implemented was often with a lot of resentment in the south. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and then I mean, and then when you get when you have federal support for it gone, it just is over. I right. Mean, yeah. Was, and that was a political compromise in right. 1876 that got that changed. And, 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 and wait, Andrew Johnson it was Rupert B. Hayes. Hayes, right. Yeah. Johnson, they said about him, I read this article that said that you know, just when you thought he couldn't get any worse as a person, he did. <laughs> so they said it. <laughs> yeah. No. As someone said the other day, it was somewhere the supporters of uh, the champions of Andrew Johnson and James Buchanan are rejoicing at the current uh, current debacle. Yeah. Far cry from Abraham Lincoln, vampire slayer. <laughs> and by the way, I, I, Trump told. For those of you who didn't know uh, that we we saw I saw this again. Did, uh, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should. I know a lot of people were. We should take uh, use some PAC money, make some ads. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, the there's there's no redeeming. There's nothing redemptive that can be said or done for, for this president. I mean, I, I I mean, I believe, and I have a uh, okay. Let's try to think. The wait, could you say that the North Koreans backing down? I don't know if it's right or covered, but they did get the Security Council China to work with. You but, could you could say that's that's a, yeah no I, I mean I'm, but I'm talking about the general trajectory partially because of the unpredictability of things. oh yeah I don't that's yeah. the thing that they were I was just watching the news and Nicole Jansen or somebody on MSNBC was saying that basically uh, you know we look at you look at people like uh, General McMaster or Mattis or Kelly and you're thinking okay these are really competent people but but. Without a commander in chief, yeah, they're general. They're, they're not used to. Yeah, you're, go yeah, ahead. With they're what you're they're not like without a commander in chief that's running the executive branch. I mean, can you? Can you? It's sort of like uh, it's a poor analogy, but you think about like after the Soviet Union fell, and like uh, just so many people didn't know how to work outside of sort of the right. the socialist structure and things like that. Like it's. It, you know they're not. It's not used to. They're not used to free enterprise systems immediately, and it's, it, you have to. Same thing. Like you have people. The government's not used to functioning in a way with a commander in chief that's just totally reckless, really weird judgment, totally unpredictable. Like can you can can the system manage up? Like I I don't know that it, it's. Just, I mean it, I don't think we've ever tried it. Yeah. Yeah. You know I think I. And you and I have talked about this before, and we, we often reference Dan Carlin, who's somebody we both really respect and appreciate. I mean, here's one thing redemptive. The office of the presidency has been diminished. Uh, yeah, which is something that has a long time coming. I mean, every, every, administration, power, yeah. Yeah. every administration runs against executive overreach, and nobody curls it back. Because then when you win, you don't want to curl it back. Yeah. Now, part of the problem, part of the growth of the executive is the complexity of the modern world. True. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, I mean, again, it's very different, but it's helpful uh, as a historian. I mean, part of what created the empire, why the Republic failed in Rome was in part because it was a system that didn't handle the growing complexities of an empire. You know, it may have worked when uh, Rome was a city-state and managed, you know, 30 miles around itself or a little bit more as neighbors. But uh, it has the Senate system um, and the kind of sharing of power and things like that and the temporary uh, way of individuals ruled and the changing every, every year. It was a system that just could not really maintain an empire. And I think, you know, one of the chief ways the executive office expanded was because of the nuclear age we live in. And uh, and that's in part how war powers and things have been compromised. So the executive branch... And FDR is a big jump too, right? Like, I mean, FDR, 
I mean, the power right. of the presidency. You have these certain jumps, you know. Yeah, Lincoln. Lincoln. And the, and the destruction of the of the, the what used to be the, you know, the uh, these United States before the Civil War becomes the United States. Yeah. So I think there's a there is a shift there. Um an inevitable one with with the you know with the raising of the industrial age. However, one in which aspects, I mean, those who I mean the legacy argument for the Confederacy, so much of it is is um is just veiled racism. But there is a thing where part of the idea of democracy, uh local government, things like that was lost in the Civil War. I mean, because the South represented uh it, kind of the more of the, you know, the Republican Jeffersonian ideal of uh, states, you know, more states' rights and things like that, and the centralized federal government that won the Civil War and then helped us move into the Industrial Age kind of got away from some of those agrarian ideals, but we were <laughs> ceasing to be an agrarian elitist culture. Yeah, well. and you look at Europe. I mean, Europe is trying to be much more like the United States in some sense. The country's functioning more like states almost. I mean, were there you know, the porous border and things right. like that, You're single currency and things like that. Like, I think that that, yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of have to go that way in a, in a more increasingly networked world. And I mean, the world's smaller, more interconnected or dependent. Or maybe what happens is it's like it, in other places throughout the world, there's been unification and for a while it holds, holds together, but then it starts fraying at the edges, you know, usually at the faraway borders. And so maybe what's going on in this country is actually a return to a more chaotic state that, you know, maybe... It's certainly... It's an well, what I'm chaos. saying, maybe, maybe... There's certainly more chaos. Well, maybe, that is und- indisputable. Whether or not this union can survive. I mean, that it, it, uh, it was an experiment that the Founding Fathers gave us, certainly a flawed experiment. And I, I still, like I wrote a little piece, just a, sl- a short piece on, on Resident Exile Facebook page today. But, you know, slavery was the original sin. Well... It may be, no, Native American genocide was the original sin, but the truth of that is diseased in most of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not minimizing. It, it's still, uh, it's a, it is a, it is a, uh, a genocide mostly by disease now. And so by the time we start committing atrocities against Native Americans, we were dealing with maybe only 10% of, who, of the, the population that was used there, to be yeah. here. And we, don't, we can't know for sure. That doesn't make it any worse. The ones that originally came from Israel, the lost tribe. The lost tribes, yeah. Our former Mormon friends out there. So I, I do think um, slavery is the original sin. And part of the reason slavery even had to happen is because the Native Americans who the conquistadors and others were using as slaves were dying. So, and I don't think we full, we have not, still have not fully... Um, fully dealt with that. I um, I was reading a, a feed from a friend of mine who's an urban activist and very involved in this community and, and saying, you know, I was observing about Charlottesville, said, this is mostly white people fighting with white people. And uh, should we get involved? And one person said, why should we get involved with them when they have been quite content to ignore our problems hmm. for decades? And I, I, you know, but I do think it's all, it's all, it's a similar issue and I, it's all related. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? 
Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going and you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, and Josh Redder. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Well, I, I came across this quote from Charles Taylor in his massive tome the secular age and basically he's talking about how when what happens in our secular sort of modern age is that humans this sort of augustinian view of human nature in the west where it sees human beings as depraved inveterate sinners uh, gives way to seeing the potential of human beings for goodness and greatness um which sort of impels or, or propels this humanistic impulse towards reform uh you know because there's the sense that with the, the sort of optimistic view of of human nature, sort of optimistic kind of anthropology, you then think, well, we can educate through technology, through progress, through social engineering, we can really make a better world, and there, and which really led to a lot of progress in modernity. Right. But then he said that you know that the, this lofty humanism, the, he says this has a Janus face because on one side. Uh, in the abstract, one is inspired to act, but on the other, faced with immense disappointments at actual human performance, with the myriad ways in which real, concrete human beings fall short of, ignore, parody, and betray this magnificent potential, one cannot but experience a growing sense of anger and futility. Are these people really worthy objects of all these efforts? <laughs> Perhaps in face of all this stupid or crossness, it would not be a betrayal of human worth or one's self-worth if one abandoned them, or perhaps the best that can be done for them is to force them to shape up. Sometimes you got to force the people to save the people right uh, but so i think that that's an interesting point that that you can have um he says the reality of human shortcomings philanthropy the uh, philanthropy the love of the human can gradually come to be invested with contempt hatred and aggression so i think that's very that's uh very and he concludes kind of saying that whenever action for high ideals is not tempered controlled ultimately engulfed in an unconditional love of the beneficiaries this ugly dialectic risks repeating itself yeah you know, I think that cycle of reform, though, is certainly it's it's very it's in religious movements. I mean, almost every religious movement has within it a dynamic same you know, reform. I mean, the history of monasticism, for instance, in Christianity, most of the different names for the different movements uh, were attempts to reform earlier forms, and uh, like the. Uh, Great. I mean, Cluny was a great sense of light in in uh, in you know the Frankish Empire, the you know the Gallic well, it was Frankish Empire, and um, 
then because it was so successful, it becomes corrupt. So the Cistercian movement is a more severe form of the Benedictine rule. But you have that cycle in in, in most religious groups. I, it's different, I know, in the secular because with Christian groups, there's still this sense of original sin. I mean, right, you know, right. And yeah, there's a sense that we're on the way and it's a pilgrimage and, and the city of God will never really be fully realized in, in, in this life. And but that, Christians always forget that. I mean, that's part of the reason you had the Reformation because uh, the good for all their concern about Augustine in the late medieval period, they had forgotten one yeah. of the most f- fundamental Augustinian, or they had Augustinian despair without Augustinian hope is probably yeah. more, more accurate. Yeah. And I think that, that it is interesting though, that you, with this kind of changing view, I was thinking we were talking about the other day about modesty and the theology of glory stuff and the, and the kind of, the, where, where Faraday says, you know, the theologian of the cross deals with, with what's really there. While the theology of glory sort of looks past the visible things to the invisible and the abstract, and and in some sense, I think that's what Taylor's talking about. This sort of it's almost like the the secular theology of glory that sort of says, "Well, look at how uh, that changes the view of human nature, even though human nature itself doesn't change." Right. <laughs> so right. you kind of have this sense that that it, I, I mean that Janus face thing is very interesting because you have this, and again, I wouldn't want to live in any other time, but modernity, but it it is interesting, and I, where I think its relevance is is today. You see so many people the 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 indignation at lots of things today, like most recently the alt right and things like that. It, it it is there's a danger that 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 you're swallowed up by that mm-hmm. and become really a contemptuous person. And, right, sure. And I think that's what Taylor's saying is built baked into the secular modern project that that there's something about. That the, the irony is that that tragic sort of contemptuousness is 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 sort of always it's not far under the surface. Well, you know, it's interesting. I I think you know one of the great misreadings that happens, and Fox News is responsible for this. President's responsible, but really, the Republican Party has helped create this, uh, and it's come back to bite them. You know, one of the things that has struck me watching newscasters in response to Trump's obscenity. Uh, this week, when you know he, he equated uh, the protesters, you know, you know the infamous speech, they were shaken. You know, I mean, and people that we like who we think are pretty, you know, fair-minded. Matter of fact, many of the people who are most shaken are people are in the in the media who once worked for a Republican administration. Right, right. And the fact is, people like people like a John McCain. Um, uh, and others, they actually, and, and many of, of of the people who report in Washington are actually patriotic, and, and not only patriotic, but they really believe in the principles of America. What I think is happening, like for instance, in the religious right with like Falwell and Trump. I mean, that would they want you know? Even I heard someone at a Trump rally when he came in the into the auditorium, he turned the camera, and goes, "Daddy's here." <laughs> Going, oh my gosh! <laughs> we should have we should have paratrooped, uh, you know, psychologist and uh, priest into the thing to do an intervention. Uh, but uh, and uh, you know wrestled uh, the CIA. Yeah, we should get we need to get the Secret Service to wrestle Donald Trump's mouth to the ground to save him. <laughs> uh, but I, one of the things that I, as Christians, we we actually don't have our hope in the United States. Matter of fact, Falwell's mistaken. Then the, then the. The, the people that created that, that Dallas pastor created make America great again and said it's a praise chorus. Uh, they're actually theologians of, of glory. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. In, in other words, so there's, that's not the gospel. 
Right. No, and, I think and, you're absolutely right and, about that. And um, and so the fact is they have to create – they have to see in Donald Trump something that's not there so that their anxiety is alleviated. But the fact is they share a similar kind of anxiety to people who whose maybe biggest hope is in the well-being of, of the United States and the system. And again – I I am thankful for this country and I'm thankful for our, our ideals. But if we have to lie to ourselves about our history, matter of fact, we're still in, I talk about this all the time, we're still in absolute denial that we are a contributing factor to what happened in Barcelona yesterday. Now, we're not responsible, we're not responsible for the deaths of those people, but our naivete that we could create a new order over there uh, has has maybe, you could say, been one of the most destabilizing things since World War II. Oh, absolutely. And this is where I think George H.W. Bush was wiser. Than this. I mean, people, I remember Democrats. Is this, is this the only way? You're well, right, yeah. I mean, I remember Democrats wanted him to take out Saddam Hussein. He said, you know, he after they rolled Iraq out of Kuwait, they, you know, he thought it'd be better to leave Saddam Hussein in power. And he's right. It was checking Iran. It was, I mean, you know, like the, yeah, the destabilizing things we've done. But the trouble with that, see, this is, again, was perhaps the moderate Shia leadership and effective Kurdish leadership that we maybe would have dealt with were killed while we gave him. And that's just true, too. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, the, well, and it's also like colonialism, right? We, yeah. I mean, this is the hard thing about colonialism, right? Like, you know, and a country like Germany isn't really Germany, right? Until like the late 19th, early 20th century. Late 19th. Yeah. Like what we think of as Germany, right? Like same thing, you know, but what happens is like we kind of make these groups, we make territories become nation states artificially, right? They don't right. organically become one. Uh, you know, post-colonialism, you, you, people that don't have time to develop a sense of nationality get thrust together. Right, right. And then you wonder that why... You need dictators to keep the thing together. Well, because it took, well, we had to fight a civil war to create the nation in some ways. Yeah, so. and that's worked out real well. Yeah, so far, exactly. You know? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, no, I, agree. I think I we're, agree. we're incredibly responsible for all these things. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, this is, I mean, we've been, we, we purposely said we didn't have a necessary topic. We were going to see how the spirit led us to Exactly. Yeah. But I think. Um, it's only, we, we would have the spirit thing us too, but it's only like. It's not even three o'clock. It's a little early. Yeah, it's so this early. is Friday afternoon, not is, Friday night lights. Right. Um, I think this is where our faith is most helpful. Okay, because um, Jesus, <laughs> the writer of Hebrews, brother Augustine, reminded us that this world is not ultimately our world, and that, um, and even the the kingdom of God, which is uh, visually visually represented in the church, there's still a lot of the secular city in that. I mean, we're still not until not until the ultimate reign of God do we citizens of the kingdom fully act like citizens of the kingdom. So life here is provisional. We know that. I mean, I just did a funeral uh, uh, yesterday before. So I mean, uh, some of us are reminded on a regular basis that uh, of the finitude of things and how provisional things are. And it's interesting. This woman's lifetime. The, the little town she lived in uh, went from being kind of an idyllic Philadelphia suburb on the Route 13 corridor that her her father had a far, little farm that was fed people fresh groceries and and was the we gave fresh flowers. Uh, the church they went to was this flourishing great community of faith. And now, if you go to where that town was, uh, that um, that farm is now. Buildings that have been boarded up because they were part of an economic boom in post World War II, but uh, that idyllic little community is now where a lot of poor people from Philadelphia 
have had to fled, flee because of gentrification in Philadelphia. So it's uh, it's a very different place. But we're reminded that that nothing stays the same, and that um, that you know I still work and hope and pray for the good of our country. But that's not where my hope is, and I need to be careful not to make idols. You know, uh, so <laughs> I was thinking that like. Uh, uh, Vice President Pence. I mean, he claims to be a person of faith. I, I wish he was as worried about idolatry as he is adultery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just lies. He just lies in order to protect this person. And that's not being loyal. I don't care what kind of authority you were taught. I don't care what kind of hierarchical religion you were you were taught. It's wrong to lie to people in the name of protecting the president. And, you know, we as Christians have just a higher calling than that. Yeah, and I think Augustine reminds people that in the city of God over and against like people like Saint Jerome who thought, you know, with the attack of the of the the Visigoths, you know, right. that, that oh, I'm just gonna go back to Palestine to wait for Christ to come. Or Sylvanus, you know, these kind of reforming priests that thinks, well, it, you know, because a lot of pagans are saying this, you know, the 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 this attack on Rome happened because we we picked the wrong gods, like we right. And and Sylvanus like, well, no, right, it's not that. It's that we don't worship fervently enough the right god and so if we just got more righteous and got the church together then these things wouldn't happen and augustine sort of no that this this is not the city of god this is the earthly city and and we work for its peace but we know all peace in this life is penultimate peace right uh and that second chronicles passage if my people who are called by name shall humble themselves and pray then will i heal their land and be their god it's not for us people yeah no it's not for america it wasn't intended and it didn't work out very well for them either so there we go. But there is hope. Oh, this, yeah. I mean, it's me. And frankly, I think fight the good fight, friends. And I mean, <laughs> I don't mean it literally, but, you know, what changes people's lives? The, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, those people full of fear and hate who, you know, we have been rightfully uh, calling out all week uh, are still human beings created in the image of God. Um, God loves uh this is this is perhaps the most scandalous thing I'll say. God loves the kid who ran over that young woman the same that he loved the yeah. young woman. Yeah, and perfect love drives out here. There's a blood red circle on the cold dark ground The rain is falling down
Your sweet kiss my soul 